readings from Mark chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. And this is on page 1024. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and power. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries... She has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, Let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, 
being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Simon, thanks so much for reading for us. Please do keep 1 Corinthians 7 uh, open as we continue our series of talks in uh, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Now, the big question, I think, which this passage addresses is, uh, should you get married? And if so, uh, who should you marry? It's a question to which the world around us, whether it's our friends or magazines or television programs or films, whatever it is, has no shortage of homespun answers. Here's an article from the Valentine's Day edition of The Times three weeks ago, providing some advice on whether couples might be compatible. Pets. Is one of you a dog person and the other a cat person? Because not to panic, but that could definitely be a red flag. Party stamina. Are you likely to be found clinging to the DJ's ankle, roaring just one more? Or are you going to be sitting in the car, your fingers drumming the dashboard? Timekeeping. You can get an ulcer from someone regularly making you a bit late. Bathroom etiquette. I think this is my favorite one. Bathroom etiquette. Open door or not open door is the bottom line. Film etiquette. As in, is it okay to comment during the film or only, <laughs> or only if you really don't understand what's going on? Perhaps one or two conversations over lunch might iron out some of these difficulties. The world has plenty of answers to the issues we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians chapters 5 to 7 over these last few weeks, whether it's homosexuality or sex outside of marriage or sex within marriage, or separation, divorce, whether to marry, and who to marry. And the choice each week has been the same choice really for us, hasn't it? Whose wisdom will we listen to? Will we listen to uh, the world's wisdom, the wisdom of our, our culture, the wisdom of friends, the wisdom of our society? Or will we listen to God's wisdom as we have God speaking to us here in the Bible. And especially, I guess, when the answers we find, which will have been the case for some of us over these last few weeks, when the answers we find are not the answers which we are hoping for, whose wisdom will we listen to? Will we trust God's wisdom? And the basis, let me just remind you, the basis of God's wisdom throughout these chapters is who we are in Jesus Christ, if we have put our trust in Christ. So look back to chapter 6, verse 11. Chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Or chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, 
for you are bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. You see, if you're here this morning and you are looking in on the Christian faith, we're delighted you're here, but please don't assume uh, throughout this series of talks we've had on, uh, on the Bible and, and sex and marriage and so on, please don't return, please don't assume that Christians want a return to Victorian morality. I think that's what our culture so often assumes and thinks because of the assumption that Christianity is about uh, rules and regulations. You know, do this, do that, and if you try hard enough, then you'll get into God's good books. But that is to fundamentally misunderstand the Christian faith. The heart of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ has died for our sins on the cross such that those who trust in him are forgiven They are declared right with God, bought by God to serve him as his people and empowered to do so by his Holy Spirit. Which is why I've called this morning's talk something more important than marriage. Because whether we are unmarried or married, the most important thing, if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to live out this new life that we have been given So you'll see an outline on the back of the service sheets, and uh, the first point is that marriage is temporary. Marriage is temporary. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, immediately, I think we need to clarify two things. First of all, you'll see from the footnotes that the word betrothed in the original Greek is actually the word virgin. So it may be that Paul is simply talking about those who are unmarried, or he could be talking about those who are betrothed to be married, which in the first century could have happened very young. You could have been betrothed at the age of uh, three, four, or five by your parents to be married to someone else later on. So you could be betrothed for a very large number of years. Secondly, we need to think about what Paul means in verse 26 when he says, in view of the present distress. Some suggest that Paul has in mind here a particular period of persecution or famine or hardship in Corinth. I think it's striking that as we read through 1 Corinthians and indeed 2 Corinthians, there's no uh, hint of anything uh, like that. More significantly, the language in verse 29, the time has grown very short, and verse 31, the present form of this world is passing away, is the language frequently used to speak of the return of Jesus at the end of time, our theme in our service this morning. Indeed, I think the paragraph emphasizes that that is how we are to understand this present distress. You see, why is it that Paul says everything he says in verses 25 to 31? Well, the clue is in verse 31, it's that word for. For, this is why I'm saying what I'm saying, for the present form of this world is passing away. In that reading we had from Mark chapter 13, Jesus said, didn't he, the date of his return is unknown, but the certainty of his return is a fact. This world is temporary, and therefore marriage is temporary. You see, for those of us who are married, 
or for those of us who think we might like to be married one day, how long do you think your marriage will last? Well, not very long in the context of eternity. Marriage, uh, every marriage, will end either at death or at Jesus' return. Jesus himself said that marriage is only for this age. And therefore, you see, we should not live as if marriage or anything else that belongs to this world is all there is. Because this world is not the final destination. Rather like those endlessly long car journeys with a constant chorus of, are we nearly there yet? When are we going to get there? And you've only been driving for 20 minutes around the South Circular. And of course, while that sort of uh, comment, while it's irritating, isn't it, in a small child, and it simply reveals their, their immaturity, but actually in a Christian believer, are we nearly there yet, actually reveals their maturity. It reveals the fact, you see, that uh, they are living for the future, living for the return of Jesus on the final day, looking beyond this world to the next. Marriage is temporary. It is not the final destination. Hence, verses 29 to 31. Have a look at uh, those verses with me, verses 29 to 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now, it's rhetorical language. Yes, of course, those who are married should remain marriage, married. The whole point of the chapter has been to remain as you are. But while we are to value marriage, we are not to overvalue marriage. Paul, you see, who at the start of the chapter, if you remember, commands those who are married not to deprive each other sexually, now says at the end of the chapter, verse 29, let those who have wives live as if those who had none. And we need to find a healthy tension in terms of obeying both those passages. Likewise, the other circumstances of life. Verse 30, there are, there are times of sadness. But we're not to live as if this world and the disappointments of this world are all there is. Just as, again in verse 30, there will be times of rejoicing. But again, don't make those things the thing which governs your life either. Paul says the same about work and commerce, those who buy as if they had no goods. Our work and our careers, you see, are not to distract us from the real business of serving Jesus Christ in the last days. So make sure you're serving Jesus in your workplace in the very best possible way that you can. And of course, if that is our aim, then when our work disappoints us, as ultimately it will disappoint us, it won't feel like the end of the world. Marriage is temporary. Whether we're married or unmarried, 
do not make an idol out of it. It is not the ultimate goal of life. What's the application? Well, if you're unmarried, if you think that one day you would like to be married, then I guess this helps us, doesn't it, to know the kind of person we should be looking for if we would like to be married one day. Not someone who is desperate to be married, for whom the whole focus of their life is on finding that special person, but actually someone whose focus of life is on serving Jesus until he returns. The person whose whole focus is simply on, on, on finding a marriage partner, well, that just shows that they are immature as a Christian. No, the mature Christian will be waiting for Jesus to return. Their life will be shaped by that. And therefore, of course, be that person yourself. Because that's what any spiritually mature Christian who is worth their salt will be looking for in a marriage partner. How can those who are married best serve those who aren't married in the church family? We reminded earlier, weren't weren't we, of our church family? Well, how can those of us who are married best serve those who are not married? Well, it's by living like this. It's by sitting lightly to the things of this world and modeling gospel priorities. I got married when I was 30, and I'm very grateful for Christian friends who were married a number of years before I was, but they didn't make an idol out of their marriage. They didn't become inward-looking, as if suddenly the whole focus of their lives was on themselves. Rather, they kept their focus on the return of Jesus and serving him and doing so urgently. And of course, the fact that they were doing that helped me enormously as a single person not to make an idol out of marriage and to keep my focus, likewise, on serving the Lord Jesus until he returned. Marriage is temporary. Secondly, marriage is complicated. One of the most pernicious phrases, I guess, in the English language is, and they all lived happily ever after. From a nursery onwards, we are brainwashed, aren't we, into imagining that at some stage, you get to a stage of life, usually followed, you know, following on from marriage, where life will be complete bliss, happily ever after. Which means that those who are single can easily idolize marriage. But God's aim for us this morning is that he wants us to think seriously, if we are unmarried, about staying unmarried. He wants us to value singleness, to desire it and for all of us in the church family to honor those who are single, who are not married. For one simple reason, and that is that a single person is far able to give themselves in undivided devotion to the Lord Jesus. Will you look at verses 32 to 35 with me? I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Now, would you imagine that over coffee, in a few moments, you are browsing uh, the bookstore, you pick up a, a, a new book, and uh, you begin to, to read the blurb on the back, and you see what it promises. And it says, this book will uh, cure many of your anxieties in life. And you think to yourself, well, that sounds pretty good. And so you read on. He says, the principle of this book will enable you to please the Lord, to be undivided, to be single-minded in serving Jesus. It will help you to be holy. It will bring great benefit to your life. What do you say? What's the secret? And so you turn to the front of the cover of the book, and you see it's a book about singleness. And I guess most of us would put it down again. I guess we wouldn't uh, buy it. But you see, those are all ways, aren't they, in verses 32 to 35, in which uh, the unmarried are described free from anxiety, their interests undivided, uh, a way of life that is helpful for holiness, that is beneficial, that uh, means you are undivided in your devotion to the Lord Jesus. Whereas for the married person, life is much more complicated. I guess many of us are aware of that. We're anxious about worldly things, as Paul puts it. As a husband, I have a a right duty to my wife, as spelt out in my marriage vows. I am to love her as Christ loved the church. That takes time, takes energy. There are family pressures, sleepless nights, parents' evenings, school runs, and so on. Financial concerns, or perhaps ill health. Perhaps a spouse with depression or something else. Now, for the married person, these things are not wrong. They are all good and right and proper concerns. And it's significant, I think, that Paul does not say here, does he, that married people should spend less time on these things. They should spend less time with their wives, less time with their children, and so on. Nor does he say, note, that being single is in some way spiritually superior, simply that we are to value it. It's so easy, isn't it? We said this last week. It's so easy to be endlessly thinking the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. You know, as if all our problems will disappear once we are married. But the fact is that issues such as loneliness, uh, sexual temptation, and insecurity can be just as much an issue for those who are married as they are for those who are single. Marriage will not solve all your problems and it will create a whole host of other anxieties which you do not have if you are not married. We are to value singleness. It seems to me that one of the temptations for those who are unmarried is to kind of put life on hold until we are married and to assume that until then our life is bound in some way to be rather second best. Well, to do so, can we see, focuses on the disadvantages of singleness, and of course there are disadvantages of singleness, but it ignores the enormous advantages of singleness, the opportunities of singleness that we are not to waste. The whole point of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, we said this last week, but it's true again here, isn't it? It's it's where God has put you now in the situation you are now, that is where God wants you to serve him today, where you are now. 
And the point here in verse 32 to 35 is that there are enormous opportunities which you have if you are unmarried, which you would not have if you are married. So think long and hard about the opportunities of singleness before you think about and seek to be married. We are to value singleness. We're to value singleness in others. I wonder whether in your heart of hearts you assume marriage is God's God's best for everyone. It's so easy, isn't it, to either imply or think that in some way someone is incomplete if they are not married. So that those who are unmarried either feel that they have failed or that in some way uh, life has cheated them. And, of course, we're to value singleness for our children. Let me ask parents, do you believe this about singleness in regards to your children? Yes, it would mean no grandchildren, but it would secure, says Paul, their undivided devotion to the Lord Jesus. Now, personally, I'm enormously grateful for single Christians who at various stages of my Christian life have actually had a really significant impact and done so because they were undivided in their devotion to the Lord Jesus. They just had more time than others. So a leader on a Christian camp, for example, when I was a teenager, someone else who uh, read the Bible with me uh, very patiently when I was a student, the ministers of two churches that I've been part of. Why is Helen able to uh, go off to Ireland in the summer almost at the drop of a hat? Well, because she has the flexibility that comes with being unmarried. As Christians in this country, we have benefited enormously from single people. Just think of John Stott at All Souls, Dick Lucas at St. Helens Bishopsgate, Vaughan Roberts at St. Ebbs Oxford, and countless other men and women who we have benefited from being able to give themselves in undivided devotion to the Lord Jesus. Marriage is temporary. Marriage is complicated. But then finally, marriage is a matter of freedom. Verses 36 to 40. Now, as I said earlier, betrothal in the first century was not the same as engagement today. Uh, You might be betrothed for many years... And you might have considered marriage or not at a number of different points in that betrothal process. Paul's point in verse 36 to 40 is that if you are single, you should continue to think about the possibility of not getting married. But actually, the decision you come to, whether to marry or not, is a matter of personal freedom. It's what we saw in verses 27 to 28. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. And it's what we see now here in verse 36 as well. Let him do as he wishes. It's a matter of freedom. Or verse 37. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart. A matter of personal freedom and Christian personal conviction, independent of others. I take it that means there should be no compulsion from friends or family. At marrieds, we mustn't think single people are those rather odd people with that strange gift 
that we are glad that we don't have. Don't assume that everyone wants to be married. And if you have a dinner party in your diary with the purpose of matchmaking, then please cancel it immediately. It is not honouring to God. It is not honouring to the consciences of those who have been invited. In summary, verse 38, those who marry do well, and those who don't marry have done even better. Not in the sense that uh, being unmarried is in some way spiritually superior to being married, but even better in the sense that uh, Paul has already outlined in verses 32 to 35. But you say, what about the gift of singleness? Back in verse 7 of chapter 7, we didn't touch on this a couple of weeks ago, but I just want to say a couple of things about it now. Let me uh, read chapter 7, verse 7. It's the only reference to the gift of singleness in the Bible. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now let me tell you how I think we easily misunderstand what Paul is talking about here as he talks about the gift of singleness. I think we imagine there are basically two sorts of single people. The first the first kind of person is the person who feels good about being single and for whom sexual temptation is not much of an issue and we think to themselves they do have the gift of singleness. The second sort of single person we think about is the kind of person who, for whom actually singleness they find hard. They would love to be married and they struggle with sexual temptation. And we think to ourselves, that person does not have the gift of singleness. And for them, the solution is marriage. But let me ask, what does that leave that person thinking? What's it leave them thinking? Well, it leaves them thinking, it leaves them being resentful of God. Why am I single, yet it seems without the gift? And it leaves them constantly looking, doesn't it, for the spouse just coming around the corner rather than making the most of the opportunities they have to serve Jesus today. Besides, nowhere does the Bible say that the gift of singleness will make singleness easy. Nowhere does the Bible say that having any gift will make the exercise of that particular gift easy. I have the gift, I'm told, of teaching the Bible, but I don't always find exercising it easy. Much better, I think, to understand the gift of singleness as a gift that everyone has who is not married. In other words, everyone in this room will either have the gift of singleness now or will at some stage in the past have had the gift of singleness. And half the people in this room who are married now will at some stage in the future also have the gift of singleness. In other words, once their husband or wife has died. I think much better to understand the gift of singleness in those terms. And you might like to ask more about that later on. Finally, verses 39 to 40. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Here is a different situation 
a widow whose husband has died. Again, notice that she is free uh, to, to remarry or not. It is a matter of freedom. What is she free to decide? Well, verse 39, she's free to decide whether or not to marry, and she's free to decide who to marry. The only area where she is not free, end of verse 39, is that she should marry another Christian believer, someone who is in the Lord. Now, so many decisions in the Christian life are like this. Both um, there are different elements of the decision. There are kind of right-wrong elements of the decision. So in this case, uh, it'd be wrong to marry someone who is not a Christian. It's right to marry someone who is a Christian. But as, then, as, as well as the right-wrong elements of the decision, there are elements of the decision which are a matter of, of freedom, of personal uh, conscience, if you like. Now, I suspect many of us find this very difficult because we want God to tell us what to do, don't we? You know, we want God to say, marry that person there. But he doesn't do that. Well, he does in part. He says they must be a believer. It follows, I take it, that it would be unwise to go out with someone who's not a Christian. Because if the relationship were to deepen, then either it's going to lead to the agony of a breakup, or it's going to lead to disobeying God. But beyond that, verse 40, who you marry is a matter of judgment, of wisdom. In all likelihood, there is not just one special person. I take it that uh, through the course of most people's lives, we'll meet a number of people who, if we are single, we could marry, and who, if we, if we are married, why, we could actually have married them if we weren't already married, if you see what I mean. In other words, there is not just one special person. It's reflected here, isn't it? Paul, it's a matter of freedom, as long as they are in the Lord. It means, of course, we need to marry wisely. Because assuming you marry a Christian, how you live out your married life actually is far more important than whether you decide to marry person A or person B far more important that uh, you, you marry someone who understands that marriage is temporary rather than the final destination. Far more important that you marry someone who is wanting to use marriage to serve Jesus together in the very best possible way. Far more important um, that decision, marrying wisely, um, far more important that we think about that in terms of marriage. We must marry wisely. How we live is more important than whether we marry person A or person B. Marriage is temporary. Marriage is complicated. Marriage is a matter of personal freedom. I think we've got time for questions, so why don't um, I will have a few moments quiet, and then I shall pray, and then if anyone wants to ask a question, then we'll have time for questions. Let's have a few moments of reflection first. For the present form of this world is passing away. I say this for your benefit to secure undivided devotion to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for that clear teaching of the Lord Jesus we heard earlier in Mark chapter 13, that his return is certain, uh, the date unknown, but nonetheless, his return is certain, 
uh, the present world in which we live in is passing away. And therefore we pray for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ here this morning. Please would you help us, whether married or unmarried, uh, to live lives serving him. And we ask it in his name. Amen.